Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be playing some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2022. We start the show with a conversation with author David Goulet about his new book, Halos Rising, that imagines saints of the future. And then we reconnect with husband and wife singing and songwriting duo Nick and Nikki Garza. In our second half hour, we learn all about the new pro-life documentary film, The Matter of Life. And we end the show with a conversation with singer-songwriter Father Maximilian Mary Dean, and we get to listen to his music. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at eselmedia.org slash podcast. You can reach me by email, pedro at eselmedia.org. You can also reach me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with the saints of the future. We are used to reading the lives of saints, and many of them are great stories, heroic stories, stories of love and loss, stories of sacrifice and hardship. But how often do you get to read stories about future saints, imagined future saints? Yes, people who haven't even been born yet. That's what author David Goulet has done with his latest book, Halos Rising. You may be intrigued and scratching your head, and so I'll let him explain. David, it's so good to have you on the program with us. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. Happy to be here, Deacon Pedro. So who are these saints? <laughs> well, these are the saints of, I would say, our imaginations. Um, I don't think it's just my imagination that, that can take people there to think about what a saint might be like in the future. Um, it kind of stemmed even from, you know, my parish priest would often talk about, we're all called to be saints and we have to imagine ourselves as saints. And I merely took that in a sense to, well, what might I do in the future or other people in the future to do to be recognized as a saint? And as you, as you noted when you introed there, a lot of the books I grew up reading about saints, you know, as fascinating as they are, when you're younger, you know, you're reading about saints in the olden days and, and way back in history. And some of them are very exciting, like, you know, St. George fought the dragon. That's, that's cool imagery for a kid. And yeah. St. Francis tamed a, a wolf. And that's cool. But, uh, and Joan of Arc, you know, was a warrior a warrior um, helps France. That's a cool story. But a lot of them tended to be theologians, bishops, yeah. um, you know, missionaries, scholars. And I just thought, you know, it's kind of interesting to think of, okay, that's what saints in the past looked like. What will saints in our future look like? Right. And that was the genesis of Halo's Rising. Yeah. So is, is that your hope then? Like, well, maybe before we talk about what your hope is for the book, what so what ins you you spoke a little bit about how sort of the inspiration about making saints maybe more accessible, but what inspired you? Like, how did you come up with this idea? Specifically, I mean, there are these are like specific, very very lifelike characters that you've come up with. So so what 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 were some inspirations that you had? I think a lot of them stem from my, you know, just growing up in. I, I'm a child of the Star Wars generation, right? Like, I grew up with Star Wars. I grew up with Battlestar Galactica. Both of those 
have very strong religious themes in them, right? Like Star Wars, the Jedi are like monks, right? They're, yes. Uh, Battlestar Galactica was filled with a lot of Christian theology because it was written by uh, by Mormons mm -hmm. and produced by Mormons in the series. And I, I think that's where you start taking, well, if I take my faith out into the universe, into the galaxy, what does it look like? And what contexts do we have? And it's interesting, I wrote, I wrote Halo's Rising several years ago. Mm. And some of the saints now, you know, they talk about the zeitgeist and how there's ideas out there that we all kind yes. of pick up on. It's just out there. The story of, of like one of the saints, uh, Chris Hiscom, you know, he goes, he goes through a wormhole, you know, he goes and, and he has where, he, you know, he's, he's gone for like six hours or something and comes back and it's 60 years have passed. Right. Well, somebody reading that would say, oh, well, you, you took that from the movie Interstellar. Yeah. I wrote this before Interstellar came out, like the story right. of, of Oscar Camacho, the cyborg, you know, who works on a space mine in a you know, station. Somebody could say, well, that sounds an awful lot like The Expanse, the belters, the belters on the show, uh, The Expanse. That's a lot of that. They work on these mines out past Jupiter. Yeah. Again, I wrote this before I'd ever heard of The Expanse. That's the zeitgeist. That's, you know, everybody imagining what will the future look like? What will human beings do out there? What will our science and our technology bring us to? What are the frontiers? And all I did was because it's being filtered through me, you know, a guy who was not only a fanboy as a kid, but also an altar boy. And right. so my faith is, is a lens in which this science fiction uh, comes through. And I think the, the foreword uh, by Brother Guy Consolmagnol. Yes. Who, you know, the, the Pope's astronomer. Um, how lucky was I to, you know, I just happened to reach out to him. And I know, wonderful that he wrote your foreword. I know. And, he, he nails it with the intro. I mean, this is a book really about thought experiments. Mm. Um, and I think that's why Novalis, my publisher, was was very interested in it because they saw it that way as well. This this is a collection of thought experiments about what is sainthood and what is what does that look like in the future? And yeah. in what context will we see saints arise in the future? Yeah. Um, and, and, that's and I'm really the... the Sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm glad that you, you gave some examples there, Chris Hiscop and Oscar Camacho. Um, but there's even a non-human. I mean, there are maybe the potential of aliens being canonized. Is that a possibility? What would Guy Consolmagno say about that? Well, he he was famously asked. You know, he was ambushed once at a conference. Could you baptize journalist. an extraterrestrial? Yeah. Would you, would you baptize E.T., right? Would you baptize a, an alien? And his great response, of course, was, you know, only if only if I was asked to, yes. um, you know, if the alien asked to be baptized, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That see, even even the media, the secular media, are they put the dots together as well? What what does religion and faith look like in a context where we meet other other beings in space, right? And um, you know, as Brother Guy put it very very well, uh, he said. There's only two possibilities. Either we're not alone in the universe or we are alone in the universe. And either of those is extremely profound. Yes. Like, um, there's something very graphic novel-y about it. Even though it's not a graphic novel, I think it would lend itself very much to that genre. Um, 
can you tell us a little bit about why that choice? And, and I know that there are specific, I mean, the, the graphics, the drawings in the book are also sort of that style. Is it because you're trying to reach a, are you trying to reach a particular audience with this book? I think so. I think, you know, we aimed it, uh, although some of the subject matter is, is fairly advanced. Um, I think the natural interest in, in this type of thing is for younger readers who are, you know, fascinated by the, what the future holds. Um, I would say like my, my editor, he even suggested that he said, yes, like the, the Oscar Camacho story, especially it's very cinematic almost. He said, mm -hmm. it's, this will be a wonderful graphic novel. It's just budget and yeah. the, the cost, the cost to make comic books and uh, which a lot of kids today don't read, sadly. It's mostly my generation that are, that if you go to a comic store today, it's mostly people our age, not kids. Right, yeah, um, yes, that's true. It's it's just budget, to do, a, to do a graphic novel costs an awful lot of money and then you have to try and get your money back. And Right. Uh, so I tried to find a balance with doing it this way as a series of shorter, biographical stories and with some choice uh, illustrations. And, you know, I was fortunate to to know some of these artists and and find, I mean, Gilbert uh, Monsanto, my Filipino uh, artist on it, he did the lion's share of them. Uh, he's just, he's a he's a machine. Like Yeah, he, they're wonderful. They're, he, they're... he is involved with so many comic books internationally. And mm. Sean Lamb uh, was involved with uh, mangas. It's just, uh, it was very lucky to have them. And they, they just help the story pop, right? Like, yes, absolutely. Visual, right? Yeah. yeah, no, very, very good collaborations. And, and maybe, I mean, hopefully this book will do well and you can get lots of revenue and then maybe afford the graphic novel. Maybe we have some listeners uh, that are hearing right now. If anyone out there is an artist and they want to help David with uh, the graphic novelization of these stories. Um, David, I, I'm fascinated by this. I really enjoyed them. Uh, uh, it was hard to put it down. I just want to keep reading. And it's like, who's the next saint? And um, it, even the idea of expanding on the stories and, and because they're very short chapters, each chapter for a new saint. Um, wonderful. And again, as, as you said, uh, uh, an, an, an inspiration for all of us that aspire to holiness in our day-to-day -day life, um, in, our, in our living, in this world today. So thank you for writing the book and for, for telling us about uh, a little bit about it today. Oh, it was a pleasure to, and uh, let's hope we can write more of them, and, and maybe our futures are included in them. Yes, that would be wonderful. David Goulet is the author of many books, including Looney Tombs, Confessions of a Small Town Funeral Director's Son, and Black and Blue Horizons. His latest is Halos Rising, published by Novalis. Here now are our featured artists of the week, Nick and Nikki Garza, with their single, You Are Jesus.
That was Nick and Nikki Garza with their single, You Are Jesus. In February 2021, we met Nick and Nikki Garza. They're a married couple from Phoenix, Arizona. They are music ministers at their parish, St. Benedict Catholic Church. And in their spare time, they compose and record worship music. Over the last year, they've been particularly busy with lots of new music. Uh, that we've been listening to. And so it's time to reconnect and to see what's new with them. Nick and Nikki, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi. I don't know. You're probably tired of me saying that you you guys have been so busy, but I seriously, I don't know. Other than people that have been specifically working on an album, like you guys are just writing stuff, arranging stuff, recording stuff, putting out singles. Um, So so what's changed? How come you do you all of a sudden have more time? Pandemic is well, over. What's going on? Well, right now we are, we're currently, we're no longer at St. Benedict. So we love okay. St. Benedict and right now we're just, um, Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Tempe, Arizona, um, asked us to lead their Sunday 5 p.m. mass. Okay. So basically, um, we have a lot less on our plate. And so right now we're just, we just feel calling for it and we're just really going for it. To uh, because in the past we released you know one or two, three songs max a year. So right yeah. now we're just trying to get as much recording done as possible um, in this uh, in this time right now. So we're just yeah. that's why we're just we're just going hard. We're going for it right now. <laughs> well, just, I know, and I I guess I sorry I got the parish wrong. Um, but uh, does it? Are you still primarily like is the 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 parish ministry your main focus, and you're primarily writing music to use at mass or in worship exactly. is that still your focus yeah that's still what we're doing yeah and you're doing a lot of because i know that you you one of your passions was to 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 set uh psalms to music do psalm settings is that still yep. a focus yes and we're gonna we're gonna have more psalms coming out um pretty soon here mm-hmm. and um, like I said, we are, we have so much lined up and we are just going to town right now. So <laughs> I know, I know. So, okay. So tell me, so, um, so you're in the process of recording all a whole bunch of songs that are going to be f- part of an EP. Tell me about that. Nikki, why don't you tell me about that? Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're going to be putting together, um, an EP with all of our new stuff on there and, um, hopefully, uh, release them as, as singles on Spotify and, um, yeah, we're just trying to get everything new out there that no one's heard yet. And we're really excited about you are Jesus and because of you and we have Ave Maria. Um, and then we have a new song coming out on Friday. Um, on on we, March 25th. Yes. Feast of the yeah. Feast of the Annunciation. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we are we recorded um, only in God. Um, John Michael Talbot actually wrote it. Yes. He's one of two. These are one of our favorites. And mm-hmm. so um, we we did that. We recorded that, and and we're really excited about that cover. Yeah, so one of the greats, and and we're not getting to play it on the show today, but I did get a chance to hear it thanks to Nick and Nikki, and it is a wonderful <laughs> arrangement. And I think you're right. I mean, everybody thinks that John Michael is is one of the greats, and uh, and it's a great song. Now tell me, you also, th- what's the deal with CCLI and Novum Novum Publishing? There's there's a is it a mass setting that you've written? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We have a mass setting that's um, we're currently also in the process. In addition to the EP, we're also in the process of getting that all recorded. And so um, Novum Publishing uh, based in Texas, Texas, uh, they've been gracious enough yeah. to publish it and they're going to get it on CCLI. So it's available to churches across the country. 
um, uh, sheet music and whatnot. So Wonderful. we're also working on that. It's called Mass of the Holy Presence, and we're really excited about it. Yeah, so Mass of the Holy Presence. And do you have a timeline for that? And, and then this, like, it'll be this year that the Mass will be available? Yes, yes, yeah. yes in the next couple months, yes. Okay, I always find, and th- this, this doesn't diminish from people who compose music that is not used in liturgy, but I find that it that is so practical to write stuff for liturgy. And I would assume that because you guys are doing this every week at mass, yeah. you get to try the songs and maybe perfect them. So is that part of how you kind of compose that you sort of try things out in liturgy? Yeah. I, um, yes and no. I mean, the Psalms are like what um, is every weekend, yeah. you know, the yeah. Psalms, every weekend. Yeah. And then um, other songs for mass, uh, we usually try to base it on like the readings for a certain weekend or, or something in generalized, like a communion song, you know? Um, but the mass setting, what we felt was, uh, um, what we felt called to do with the mass thing was to really find something to where, the reason we call it the mass of the Holy Presence is we really wanted something to sound like, you know, kind of like when you watch a movie and it gets yeah. to like a serious part and somebody's crying or somebody's yelling or something like that. But the music in the background, it supports that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we really wanted to something that supported, you know, the presence um, during mass, the, the, the reverence, that, that mm-hmm. feeling. And, um, and we, we really feel like um, we, uh, we did our best to, uh, to do yeah. that. You know, I, nothing against some of these. Masses, no, no, no. I, 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 I think I know what you're saying. And, and it's, you're not the first people to talk about how, the, you know, that there's a soundtrack to the mass. Yeah. obviously the music has to support the main action of the liturgy but i i i think that i also find sometimes that for me mass is a worship event and people don't i think that there's a disconnect for some people there and if the okay. music doesn't feel like like i think that the music needs to feel like it's worship music adoration music and exactly. and, and i'm hoping that that's what you were going for yeah that's, <laughs> that's exactly, what we're going for that's yeah. exactly we didn't want you know because sometimes it's almost like a, it can be a almost like a disconnect from the mass when we're, you know, the Holy Holy pops up and then it's like, yeah, a, I know exactly. Or something, you know, it's like, we didn't want that anymore. We wanted to, everything to be connected and um, a nice flow. And yeah, so it's and like, just, like a, a massive adoration, I guess. In a, in a yes. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. So, so um, Nikki, tell me about the Ave Maria. Cause again, it's a song that everybody knows. Why was it important to, to do a setting? Uh, to, sorry, to record that, that song for you guys. Um, it's it's just one of our favorites, and and um, we get asked to do it a lot. And um, a friend of ours, um, his name is Gene, and he has been so supportive of us. And it's it's his favorite song, so we told him that we would do that for him at some point. Oh. And um, we just we 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 just love that song, and so we that was our like our first. Uh, song recently that we did, and then we we made a video for it as well. Yeah, because so. we kept getting compliments about it, or like. You know what? Maybe we should record People it. You like, know, yeah, you made it. You made it your own. I mean, that's what's beautiful about doing arrangements, right? And and you've you you've garz garzized it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, tell, yeah. Tell me something about the kids, because last time we spoke, uh, I think you you mentioned your oldest daughter, and she was maybe giving you feedback. I guess they're a little older now. Are they starting to participate yeah. a little more in in this any of these processes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, our oldest and Adina, um, I mean, all of them are coming into their own slowly but surely with music, but our oldest and Adina, I mean, she's like yeah. walking around the house singing everything. Yeah. And 
and she's really interested in all kinds of music. It's we think it's so cool. Um, she, I don't I don't think she really knows anybody who's too like now now, but like she knows like Whitney Houston, Celine yeah. Dion, right. And, uh, and we're showing her all of our influences. Yeah, all the good music. All the, <laughs> yeah. all the greats. Yeah. yeah, in our opinion. Yeah, yeah she, I, I set up a Spotify account for her, and I saw her, her uh, some songs she was listening to, and she was listening to, like, a Bette Midler song. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> well, was, like, those are the like, classics, yeah. In the car, in a car with her, I'll say, hey, check this song out, you know, just to try to yeah, show her somebody new. And, and she's really taken to it in. Yeah. And um, so now every time we record something, every time I'm working on something, like, for uh, example, only in God, I was adding like percussion element stuff and uh, whatnot to it. And she was sitting right next to me. Oh, I was cool. thinking, what do you think about this cymbal swell? What do you think about this? I'm <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. use the shaker, the tambourine, you know? And like, she's like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's you know? good. That's good. That's <laughs> good. That's good. That's she tell me, she's like, no, that yeah. sounds kind of weird. Maybe we we'll turn that down, you know? And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She gives me, oh, that's great. Showing her, you know, she's getting gonna, her opinion. She's going to end up being the music producer in the family. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Nick and Nikki, I'm really excited that you're actually putting together an album because I'm still old school. I know people are releasing singles now. That seems to be the thing, but I love albums because especially yeah. when it's like a soundtrack, you want to sit and listen to the whole thing beginning to end. And I'm really looking forward to the Mass of Holy Presence because we're always looking for masses, mass settings yeah. to do it in our, I know in our, my parish. So um, yes. I'm looking forward to something that's going to really lead people to a, a deeper uh, sense of worship and adoration during mass. So thank you. It's been really good connecting with you guys and uh, keep, keep it up. Keep sending music because the more music, the more we can have you on the show. Okay. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having All us. All right. Take care. You can find out more about Nick and Nikki Garza at their website, nickandnickygarza.com, but be sure to look them up on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. If you missed any part of this conversation or you want to listen to it again, just head on to our website, eslomedia.org slash podcast. And here now are Nick and Nikki Garza with their setting of Psalm 93, The Lord is King.
We're listening to Nick and Nikki Garza with Psalm 93, The Lord is King. This is a special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check us out at slmedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. The recent Supreme Court leak that appears to show that the court is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade has brought the abortion debate once more to top of mind and top of headlines. Of course, for those of us who live and breathe in the pro-life space, the issue of legalized abortion is always top of mind. Still, all of us have different approaches. Some use scientific arguments, others prefer philosophical ones, some lean on scripture to make their arguments, others think that it's important to understand the history and to understand the morality. The new film, The Matter of Life, makes all those approaches and more. Ultimately, it stresses that this conversation has to be entered into with understanding, with love and support. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Tracy Robinson. She's the director and producer of the film. Tracy, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks for having me. So why do we need a new pro-life film, Tracy? Well, I wanted to create a film that really unraveled the abortion issue and clarified it. I, I wanted to make a film that, were, that was for people who are on the fence and mm. uh, a film that didn't preach to the choir necessarily or the convinced, but really uh, helped, shape, helped shape people's worldview. Was it your hope to try to present different kinds of arguments to try to connect with people wherever they are in the in the debate? Yes. Um, so my intention was to uh, essentially communicate to that person who uh, doesn't really know where they stand on abortion or um, maybe they've been in church their whole life and they know it's important to be pro-life, but maybe they don't know why. Yeah. Um, and so, um, because that was my experience when I first heard the pro-life message, I was uh, working, I was doing video work for a pro-life pregnancy resource center in Ventura, California. Okay. And uh, they commissioned me to do videos uh, for their banquets and their promotional. Um, I was inspired by what they were doing for women. Uh, and helping them in their pregnancies. Um, but as for me, I was, I was pretty much um, on, the, on the fence as well. I was uh, maybe personally pro-life at best. I was very apathetic about the abortion issue mm -hmm. and had really not um, given it much thought. Uh, and it wasn't until my friends at the pregnancy center, the staff there, invited me to an apologetics conference and that night it was going to be about the case against abortion. Okay. And I thought, well, <clears throat> well, I'll go in and hear what my pro-life friends are talking about. And in less than two hours, uh, the speaker, Alan Schleeman of Stand to Reason, uh, gave a clear, concise argument for the full humanity of the unborn child. And uh, my mind was blown. And I was immediately struck with this vision to make this a documentary film. 
Wow, that, um, that I, was sorry to interrupt. But that was a, that was a while ago, so it was a long, long time in getting this. I'm curious to know what was that you said that it was specifically the argument, the the case being made for the humanity or the personhood of the, yes. of the unborn. Tell us about that argument that won you over. Well, I learned the science of embryology um, and the fact that life begins at the moment of conception, um, and so essentially. I learned that, I mean, I, we all know it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Um, and I had to grapple and, and come to, to face the fact that abortion does that and therefore it's wrong. Right. And so he, he also gave us the opportunity to look at abortion imagery, uh, the aftermath of abortion. Right. And so I was, I was just really struck by the truth in that moment. Do you find that most people I mean, let's say most americans most canadians and you said you were apathetic that, that that's the reason that they that they just really haven't spent enough time thinking about this issue because it hasn't touched them personally and that that's yeah why we need education absolutely i think that if we're just left to our own uh if we're just left on our own without any um anyone coming on the offense for our worldview and what we believe we're going to succumb to the culture and what we're what we hear in the media and what we're being told in public schools. Um, that was my background as well. I was mm -hmm. uh, raised in public schools, and my parents never talked about hard hard topics. And I was very in a very worldly environment, yeah, so to speak. Um, and it just uh, I just sort of subscribed to that ideology, um, which is very much kind of in the dark about the facts uh, yeah. and not really willing to confront the facts. Yeah, it's that narrative that's very prevalent in the media. People just don't think about it. Um, I, I can't not ask you about the leak and, and the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Do you think that this is the right time that we're, we're here? That, sorry, not that it's the, it, was, it could have been the right time 20 years ago, but that, that because we're at the point now where there's more of a critical mass of people who are understanding the issue and understanding the arguments because of the work that people like you are doing, that now is the time? Well, I think this documentary is so timely and I wouldn't have ever imagined right. uh, in my wildest dream that, that it would line up like this in the timing um, that I believe is the Lord. Um, but I feel like this movie, it, it is uh, more important than ever to mm. uh, look at the truth, um, to go on this journey of discovering what you, uh, you know, what really abortion is so that you can make a meaningful argument uh, when um, confronted about this issue. And even more importantly, if you're a young adult in that situation, you know what choices are really available to you. Yeah. And I, that was something that really struck me from the film, that it wasn't just about presenting the arguments, although you did that very well, but also uh, presenting the options and, and, and making it clear that for many young women, but a lot of them are young, that they choose abortion because really they feel that they have no other choice. Um, did you was there anything that you learned in making the film or that really struck you? Yeah, midway through, I had a big epiphany. Uh, and I always knew that you know, church-going people, uh, Christians, were going to be my target audience. But okay. I didn't realize to the extent that the church in America needed to see this film. And so I came to a realization um, just through learning different two different st statistics uh, that this film could possibly be 
a way, a rallying cry for the church in America. Um, I learned that four in 10 women who've had an abortion uh, attended church in the month they became pregnant, both Catholic and Protestant church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I learned uh, particularly Protestant denominations in the United States, they are uh, overwhelmingly, overwelmingly silent or complicit on abortion. Um, and so I figured, wow, those two, those two statistics really correlate. And so um, that really hit me hard, knowing that God's people are not taking a stand. Uh, I mean, there are amazing churches and Christians doing amazing things. That's, I mean, the the pro-life movement is made up of Christians Mm -hmm. um, primarily, but um, there's so much opportunity there that uh, the church in mass is not taking advantage of. Uh, You know, I, I really believe that the church can love love their congregation 40% more uh, when they're mm-hmm. confronting this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and you, in the film, you present a very good option for churches that want to do that in terms of pro-life ministry in the parishes. Tracy, so the film, you said it's, it's clear that your hope is that the film is for Christians. Um, it's not just for Christians, but it is primarily for Christians. Um, tell us how people can watch it. Yes. Well, I'm excited to say that it's coming to theaters nationwide uh, in the United States, uh, May 16th and 17th. Um, And they can go to matteroflife.org to get their tickets and get them early. uh, Because um, right now, if if there's not enough ticket sales, theaters will start to pull out and uh, make room for bigger, uh, bigger blockbusters. Right. Yeah. So that's always the case. So good, great advice. So, so get your tickets now, fill the theaters. If a lot of people want to watch the film, that's how it works. Theaters are going to want to keep the film in the theaters. That's the idea. Um, and unfortunately it's not in Canada yet, but we're going to work on how we can get the film so that people in Canada can watch it as well. Um, Tracy, thank you again so much for the work that you're doing for making the film and for telling, telling us about it today. Thank you so much for having me. Tracy Robinson is the director of the documentary, The Matter of Life. You can learn more about the film and find out where you can watch it at matteroflife.org. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the program, go to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Father Maximilian Mary Dean, with his single, Forgive. Yeah.
That was Father Maximilian Mary Dean with his single, Forgive. Father Maximilian Mary Dean has been making music since he was a kid, playing piano and guitar and then picking up many more instruments along the way. While studying classical guitar, he had a major conversion. He'd received a degree of philosophy from Franciscan University and joined the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal in 1992. In 1995, he left to join the Franciscan Friars of the Immaculate, where he was until 2016, when he entered the Diocese of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as a diocesan hermit. But he hasn't stopped making music. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Father Maximilian Mary Dean. Father Maximilian, it's a great pleasure to meet you. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on. This is great. This is great, and and I, I I was joking at the beginning of the show that I I'm, I'm maybe ashamed that I had never heard of you, or um, so I'm very happy to to have met you and 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 to have you on the show. Um, tell us a, a quickly. I always like to ask our guests what growing up was like. Did you come from a Catholic family? What was it like growing up? Yeah. So basically my, my, I think my family started on the right track. Uh, you know, we would go to mass as a family. My dad was not Catholic, but he still would go to mass and we would go as a family. And it was right around the age of nine or I think around 10 years old, actually, where my mom and dad stopped going to mass. So my mom fell away from her faith okay. and I basically hit my teen years without the faith, without the sacraments, without catechism without prayer. And it was really hard because my parents' marriage was on the rocks and they divorced Mm -hmm. when I was 15. So it was rough through the teen years, especially. Mm -hmm. And music really kind of helped me get through that, to be honest. I can imagine. 
I can imagine where you, I mean, I know you were already playing music, but were you writing songs at that time? Uh, little, yeah, little songs here and there. You know, it's funny <laughs> you, when you listen to the great, the greats, you know, of your age, you think, oh, I'll never be able to write a song like that. But you tried and then you discover that, you know, you, you, you know, that there is kind of an art to it. And part of that is learning, you know, many, many songs and, and yeah. kind of developing your own style. Yeah, it's and, a craft. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us were writing music as, as, as children or, or teens, but they weren't great. <laughs> it wasn't great music. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about the conversion experience. What happened? Yeah. So I was actually in a very successful uh, rock band. We were, we were a cover band, but we were into the heavier stuff in the eighties. We had a booking agent. We were playing all the venues in the Indianapolis, greater Indianapolis area. And right. For a high school band, it was pretty cool, you know, to have yeah. your name up on the marquee and, you know, to hear your name on the radio that we were playing someplace or, you know, having little posters and things. Um, so the the funny thing is that when I was 17, I was a year or two years younger than all the members of my band. I was the lead guitarist. Okay. And they decided we were so successful after two years, they wanted to make it big. They wanted to go on the road mm -hmm. and they put this life-changing decision in front of me. And they basically said, we're going on the road. And do you want to come with us? In other words, do you want to drop out of high school and try to make it big with us? Wow. And I just said, I said, do you have a contract with some major label? which I knew they didn't, but I was like, if you have a contract with a major label, then, then I, I'll go. But if it's just a pipe dream, I need to have my diploma first. You know, right. you guys all have your diplomas. I don't. So they, they basically kicked me out mm. and that was huge. Cause my senior year, I was kind of twiddling my thumbs while my previous band that I spent all the time with was on the road. And it made me reflect on things like why I was so empty inside um, so I was in a successful band. I had good friends, I had a girlfriend, I had, um, good grades and I was empty, empty, empty. And I was just like, well, I can become more famous and have better grades and get a doctorate and, and I can have more friends, but if it's not fulfilling me now, what, why, why would it fulfill me later? And that's when the search began for God, the search mm -hmm. for meaning something beyond, uh, just the passing world. Yeah, right. And, so it was through reading the scripture. I went to college studying classical guitar, as you mentioned, and uh, um, I was reading anything to find God. I was reading mm -hmm. Zen and the Quran and the Bible. Yeah. But when I read the Passion, when I read that when Jesus died, the centurion at that moment said, truly, this man was the son of God. Mm. And at that moment, I mean, I can't explain it. it. wasn't, there's no philosophical reason or whatever, but at that moment I was infused with the gift of faith. And I knew oh, that yeah. Jesus yeah. was God, that he died on the cross for my sins. And then eventually through the, the message of Fatima, I kind of came back to my Catholic faith right. and began studying for the priesthood. And, wow. and then I was always using my music for the Lord now. And the rest is history. Um, and I think I understand when I when I when I read that you had joined the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, I thought, oh, that makes sense. Um, and I know, I mean, we don't have time to go into too much detail. That's clearly not where God was was eventually leading to you. But I, I wanted to understand a little bit more why a hermit. Where did that come from? 
as a, as a specific call. And I guess some people might not even know what a hermit is. Right, right. Well, it, it's what you think it is, a person that lives alone, <laughs> you know, and kind of a isolated person. But it, it, you know, I was drawn to the Franciscans because of the poverty and the prayer mm-hmm. and the penance. And from the Friars of the Renewal, I transferred to the Friars of the Immaculate, mm-hmm. mostly out of my love for our Blessed Mother, right. but also I had a great love, obviously, for St. Maximilian, my namesake, and yes. they also were very heavy using the mass media. Okay. Uh, so the Friars of the Renewal are definitely more on the ground with their feet, you know, preaching the youth, the poor, whereas the Franciscans of the Immaculate are much more like publishing books okay. and music and, the, you know, the, the internet and using the mass media the way St. Maximilian did. And I right. was kind of drawn to that. And then within the Franciscans of the Immaculate, I ended up being the, the kind of the, the superior, you could say the founder, but the, not the founder of the order, but of this contemplative branch of the okay. order. And eventually just felt called to continue my Franciscan vocation uh, as a strictly contemplative solitary okay. hermit. So, so just to clarify, so you continue being a Franciscan. Yes. I mean, cause you're ordained as a Franciscan priest, right? Right. But it's in the spirit of St. Francis. I'm not obliged, for example, by the rule okay, of the friar's okay. minor, cause it's for an order of religious, but I, I'm a hermit with my own rule, but it's obviously it even has quotes of St. Francis and St. Maximilian in my rule. Et and it's, and it's, uh, and it's specifically for a, for a diocese. So do you make uh, promises or of obedience or anything to the Bishop? How does that work? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you do poverty, chastity, and obedience. And the obedience is to the obviously Bishop. to the church, the Holy father, the Bishop, uh, and you know, that's kind of how it works. But as long as I don't do anything too crazy, uh, 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 the, the bishop doesn't have to correct me too much. You know exactly. what I'm saying? And as, a, as a hermit and pray. Uh, and as a hermit, would you be affiliated with a parish or like, do you celebrate mass? How, how, do, how would that work in terms of your ministry? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a loaded question. I think every hermit part of that is just hermits are unique because they're alone. So of course it's going to be unique, (laughs) but uh, for me personally, the, the one, it's not really a pastoral ministry, but I do offer mass for a community of cloistered Carmelite nuns, not far from here. Okay. And so I offer mass for them sometimes hear confessions and that's, that's it. Right. That's it. So I don't have a parish. I'm not involved in any other ministries. And then the humor of all of this is that, about a year into it, Our Lady and the Holy Spirit started calling me to record music yeah. and play instruments I hadn't played for 30 years. Right. And I'm laughing now because if I was in a community, I could never do what I'm doing now. Interesting. Interesting. In other words, as a hermit, I can play the drums and the guitar. Exactly. I, can, I can dedicate my work period to, to yeah. music. And would you say that the music now is the bulk of your ministry or is that just something you do on the side? Um, well, I, I just, yeah, I don't know how to, how to describe it. It's not like a pastoral ministry because no. I never have to leave the hermitage, no. even the other musicians with the, the, the way the internet works, I'm yes. able to get a sax player from Barcelona and a harmony singer yeah. in Slovenia. And yeah, it's great. Know, we can do that nowadays. Yes. You know, a fiddle player from Nashville and I never have to leave the hermitage. Mm-hmm. So uh, but it's a way I can create it sort of a soundtrack, a Catholic soundtrack for people that want to have something to listen to where the, it's catchy. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but the message 
is not leading us away from God, but to God. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think you, you are doing that. And of course, as a hermit, you probably rely on donations. So I'm going to make sure that I'm putting in a plug there to our listeners that they know that they can support you. Um, Cause you're not making, you're not making money out of this uh, necessarily. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think I, uh, what I was going to say is uh, the music, the mu- I feel sorry for musicians. I, I depend on divine providence, but you know, if you get a million streams on Spotify, I think you get three cents or maybe yeah. it's four cents, something like that. But, right. And you, nobody buys CDs. So I don't know how they do it. I d- depend on divine providence and I just make the music for the love of God. But uh, it's, yeah. So, but my, my favorite thing is support me by your prayers and by listening to the music. And if you like CDs, yes. uh, I know most of you are probably in Canada. It does cost $20 million for the shipping and $5 or something for the, the merchandise. $20 million dollars and it gets lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Um, Father Maximilian, um, it's been really good meeting you and chatting. I, I, I know that we're going to uh, have lots of opportunities to chat again because I know you're not going to stop making music. So thank you, for, uh, thank you for what you do and for sharing uh, about it with us today. Thank you so much and God bless you all. Peace. You can learn more about Father Maximilian Mary Dean and listen to and purchase his music at his website, fathermaxmusic.com. And you can also, of course, find him streaming in all platforms. If you missed any part of this interview or any part of the show, you can head on over to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast, and you can find all our programs archived there. Here now to take us out is Father Maximilian Mary Dean with Come Holy Spirit. From his album, A Battle Cry Goes Out. Come, Holy Spirit, with the fire of your love. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, with the fire of your love. Come, Holy Spirit. Listening to Father Maximilian Mary Dean with Come Holy Spirit from his album A Battle Cry Goes Out. And that will take us to the end of this special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. 
remember to check us out at slmedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our Salt and Light Hour programs and watch all our other programs. That's also where you can find out everything you want to know about Salt and Light Media and how you can support our ministry because we cannot do this without your financial support. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note. Don't be shy. Pedro at slmedia.org. Or you can also find me on Facebook, on Instagram, or on Twitter. I'm Deacon Pedro. Thank you for spending this time with us today. This has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>